Today, our scripture is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It can be found on page 835 in your Black Pew Bible. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Good morning again to you all. It's my privilege. I consider it a privilege, incidentally, to to do this. Um, It's not an obligation. It's actually a joy uh, to uh, be in the Word, to have to dig into the Word and do this. I I love it. Um, So thank you for the privilege. A week ago was Christmas Eve. And we think about Christmas was the next day. And it can be an awesome time or it can be a very hard time or something in between. My hope is that all of you had experienced a joyous and very blessed Christmas time. Uh, but, you know, when we think of Christmas, uh, we get minds go in a lot of different directions. But at some point, we usually come upon thinking about gifts. And so I'd like to talk about two this morning with you all. Uh, right now, uh, this morning... We stand on the precipice of the end of 2023 AD, the year of our Lord, and the start of a new calendar year. When this evening ends, and this new year starts, I will have completed 27,905 days on this earth, which could also be seen as 2,410,992,000 seconds or 40,183,200 minutes or 669,720 hours or 3,986 weeks and three days. I don't have any clue how much more I have until I get called home. But God does. But... What's my point? How about this? Everybody gets this gift. It is a gift. And it's one you and I should be grateful for. Really grateful. Each of us only gets as much as God has allocated for us. And that's already set. How you and I use it really matters. And how our use of it speaks to our gratitude for it. So, what does yours and my use of it say about our gratitude at the end of the year? The first gift is time. So, the second gift, if you've been granted salvation, and I hope you see it as the awesome and incredible gift of inestimable and eternal value that it really is. You know, Christmas is an indictment before it's a delight. It's an indictment because of our sin nature and the impediment that sin nature is to our becoming what God wants us to become. In fact, if our indictment continues to stand, the result is eternal suffering and the wrath of God. So, if we don't remember, consider, and understand the reason the first Christmas happened, it's impossible to really appreciate the amazing gift that it truly is. 
That said, Christmas is Christmas because of the gift that was given approximately 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, where God, the Father who never makes a mistake, gave, uh, gave us Jesus, his Son, who's also perfect, so that Jesus, who loves us enough to die for us, could give us salvation and redemption at the awesome cost of giving everything of himself. That's a lot of giving. Mark spoke last week about our justification as well as making this point. It wasn't just for our salvation that they did this. It was so we could be given the gift of adoption as our father's sons and daughters, and simultaneously, which is incredible to me, be made Jesus' own brothers and sisters. We get, amazingly enough, to be part of a heavenly family and the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's a gift. They did this to change who you and I are and the way we live. So did it? Did, it, did salvation change who you and I are and how we live? And how you and I spend our time? Do we have this new identity? And if so, do we live into it well? In the Gospel of John, specifically John 1.12, we're told, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That would mean a change of yours and my identity from child of the world condemned to the eternal wrath of God into children of God for all eternity, living with him forever. In Matthew 18.3, he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. So, back to John's statement where the active verbs are receive, believe, and become. And I want to focus on that this morning, this word become, because what it applies here is the idea of living into what has already been preordained for you and I to ultimately be. Think about the idea of the already and the not yet. For example, the already John is hopefully growing more and more to be like Jesus, our master. From that point 46 years ago when I received the gift of salvation and was granted the right to become a child of, of God. And as my growth occurs in that vein, I hope to be more and more like the not yet John that my Father in heaven sees and has always seen and ordained that I'll become. You and I will not become the not yet children our Father sees until that happens, but He wants that for us, and it's a magnificent gift and blessing. Consider the sculptor Michelangelo for a moment who was offered a colossal block of marble which had been previously worked on by two other artists, Agostino de Duccio in 1464, and Antonio Rossellino in 1475. Both artists had abandoned their work after noticing imperfections in the marble block's grain. Despite that, Michelangelo took up the monumental challenge of carving the figure of David he saw in the marble, David the not yet, who would emerge only after all the chipping and cutting and polishing that would be required from the already flawed block of marble. So, 
the already John and the already you are brought into God's family. And incidentally, like the marble block, we're brought in with many imperfections. Yet, hopefully, we will learn and do under the master's hand. But get this, God's season has always seen the not yet me and the not yet you, which implies that our adoption comes with learning and cutting and chipping and polishing and doing the work as a big part of the new life before us. As he develops the already us into the not yet us, and this process is called sanctification and inhabits what we refer to as discipleship or apprenticeship. Have you ever thought about the idea that the man Jesus was a disciple too? Not in the way we think of, of the men he, he trained, but rather the way he, which he probably learned his earthly dad, Joseph's craft and trade. Joseph, you may remember, was a carpenter and probably a stone worker. Jesus probably served as what we would call an apprentice learning that craft. Disciple and apprentice actually are synonymous terms for describing the methodological approach to uh, becoming a skilled worker. In any case, Jesus seemingly applied that notion to developing his followers. Many of the ways he formed them reflect that model. He would explain reality, he would share ideas, he would teach, he would show, he would have them practice, he would examine results, adjust the expectations, and continually challenge them. He continued that cycle until the formation of the men he would send into the world to change it was where he wanted it to be. And their apprenticeship continued on after his resurrection and ascension, and it would continue until they were called home, as does ours. So, question for us. Who's apprenticing you? Who is helping you become more like the not yet you Jesus wants you to become? An apprenticeship is not a do-it-yourself project. I came to appreciate apprenticeship from the two summers working for an electrical contractor as a teenager where I was treated as an apprentice and learned to do a lot of things and made to do them well. For me, the idea paints a clearer picture of the process the Lord wants me to go through to become more and more like Him. I think of myself now this way, knowing there's still a lot an awful lot to learn and do before the not yet John, son of the Father, brother of Jesus, citizen of the kingdom, is fully revealed. Of course, that doesn't happen until I get to meet Jesus face to face. So in the meantime, I work at trying to serve as well as I can and be his deputy or his follower and his apprentice as he does whatever chipping and cutting and polishing that is required to bring out the not yet me. Of course, hard times come and hard lessons come, and they do. Which brings us to what Jesus said to his followers just prior to his ascension, the right hand of God. And he said, this is the first part of our text today, Matthew 28, 16 through 18. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is the Word of God. In verse 16, we see the disciples have gone to Galilee, which is approximately 78 miles north of Jerusalem, which is a few days' walk. This group certainly would have included the 11, 
and probably a lot of the women believers and other men who had seen or heard about the erection and resurrection and, and uh, uh, wanted to learn more. They wanted to see who this man was, or maybe they knew who this man was, but they wanted to learn more. In Matthew 28, 1 through 10, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, you remember, had gone to the tomb and encountered the risen Jesus. Jesus explained he was going to Galilee and told them to tell his brothers to go there and see him. It's interesting that Jesus wants to meet them in Galilee. Maybe also recall from Luke 24, when the women first saw Jesus at the tomb, they were told by the angels, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of men and crucified and on the third day rise. Galilee, the same place where they were told what was going to happen, is now the place where Jesus is going to tell them what they are now to do. What do you think went through their head as they went through that experience. In Matthew 28, 17, it seems that the people worshiped him, but some doubted. Would you and I doubt, would you and I doubt amidst our worship if we had been there? How would the reality of that situation affect you and I? I dare say it's still common today, isn't it? Do you worship and still doubt once in a while? Amid the challenges of life, both doubt and faith that leads to worship can coexist. Maybe you've experienced that. It was in this setting of faith and doubt that the resurrected Jesus gave what is known as the Great Commission. That's our text today. In other words, if we are his followers, a doubt does not preclude us from doing what he says for you and I to do. Jesus is marking the end of their direct training as he begins to work with and empower them from a different perspective. From now on, they will be doing the apprenticing. Maybe we can more easily picture this as Jesus in essence saying, your apprenticeship with me has prepared you to be journeymen who are still growing and will continue to grow, but who are now to make disciples. Note, they have not, nor will they ever, nor will we ever, become a master, because there's only one of those, and it's Jesus. This, of course, implies there's still need for continuing to grow increasingly like Jesus, their elder brother, from whatever place in the progression they were. And similarly, if you and I are his disciples, we have the same goal, become increasingly like him from whatever place in the progression we are. And as we continue to live and speak and serve as his representatives, by being his hands and his feet and his voice. So, how should we proceed? Our text today implies three things, three ways. Acknowledge the authority of Christ, be intentional and obey Christ, depend on Christ and his presence with us. Jesus comes to them and makes this statement, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. In Matthew 7, we could see that Jesus had been teaching, and we're told in 729, he was teaching them as one who had authority. In Matthew 8, his works and miracles point to an authority not just in words, but deeds. In Matthew 9, 6, he shows he has the Father's authority to forgive sins. In Matthew 10, Jesus gave authority for a time to his disciples when he sent them out on a training and trial run at their mission the mission which he is now putting into their hands full-time. Think about this authority. When these men were in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and a storm arose, 
They were afraid. That's a doubt, right? We could refer to Matthew 8, 39 to 41, where the text tells us, and he, that is Jesus, awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see Jesus addressing their doubt there. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Seeing, seeing someone healed or maybe resuscitated from death is amazing enough, but his kind of power does nothing but generate incredible awe. These men were more afraid after the storm had ended than they had been of actually drowning. And several of them, you probably remember, were fishermen, professional fishermen. And professional fishermen on the Sea of Galilee are very used to fast-forming, fierce storms, and it happens all the time over there. So their great fear says a lot. What would you be experiencing? What would I? Thinking about, thinking if you were in that boat and believed you were going to drown, and then saw Jesus take command of the wind and the sea and still them. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is shown to be, among other things, the King of the Jews, the Messiah, the Son of God, the glorified risen one, and the one who has been tested and come through every single time with awesome glory. Remember, too, his authority over death is such that it, he could be re resurrected. <clears throat> this was not resuscitation where you come alive after death and then have to go through an earthly death again. No, this is coming alive never to die. Jesus has the power and is the power that's required to do that so that you and I can be resurrected and adopted into the family of a holy and exceedingly awesome God. Jesus is the Lord of all creation and everything in it, regardless of what we think of him. And by the way, I just want to touch on this. Some people talk about accepting him as Lord. Be careful with those words. Our acceptance of him does nothing to change who he is a bit. He is Lord whether you and I think so or not, whether we accept him or not, or whether we behave accordingly or not. He, <clears throat> and incidentally, his lordship will be incredibly obvious when he returns again, if it isn't already. Every knee will bow. So, he has authority over nature, nations, disease, demons, sin, and death. He has authority over our lives, whether we believe that or not. And he has authority over every life ever lived or to be lived, which is why he says what he will say next, which brings us to point number two, be intentional and obey Christ. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This, too, is the Word of God. The worship of God is the goal of the mission because the supreme outcome will be that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will be united in giving Him the glory He is due. And we will get to be with Him forever. We should be praising the Lord for that. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor author David Platt tells us if Matthew's gospel is true, that is, if Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, if he rose again from the grave in victory over sin and death, and if there is no one like him and he reigns as Lord over all, then telling a lost world about Jesus is the only thing that makes sense. 
What doesn't make sense is millions of Christians sitting back and saying nothing to the nations or to their next door neighbor. The Great Commission is always directed away from ourselves and outward. If Jesus had all power and authority, and he does, and he gives to his apprentices to use for his purposes, and he does, what holds us back? We need to remember the story you and I are actually in. It's a story of people with ruined souls. And Jesus changes that and then calls us his brothers and sisters. But we're called to be also working for him to continue to change that calamity of ruined souls. This mandate from Jesus is not only about overseas missions. Somewhere we seem, along the way actually, we seem to have mistakenly made it acceptable to be a Christian but not be an apprentice or a disciple. To believe means that we are set and committed to act as if the right answers are true. It's not just an intellectual agreement. If we believe, we should act, if only out of gratitude for what's been done for us. Biblical writer Paul Tripp said that surrendering your life to God is never risky. What's risky is buying into the delusion that your life belongs to you to live as you wish. Just to put that in a very clear perspective, in Romans 1, 24, 6, and 8, Paul makes clear that God's present expression of his wrath is that he gives people over to their own desires. He gives people over to their own desires. And unless... That's changed. The future expression of his eternal wrath, what we refer to as hell, is what they are currently choosing to pursue. What an incredibly foolish and horrible choice that would be, and that is. Platt also wrote, the church is filled with people who have been Christians for 5, 10, 15, or even 50 years who have never led someone outside their family to be a reproducing disciple. A comment reminds me of Dallas Willard's observation where he said, going into a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going into a garage makes you a car. Jesus called his first followers <clears throat> in Matthew 4.18, when they called the fishermen. The implication there was that genuine followers of Jesus are all to be fishers of men and women. Now, Jesus here in Matthew 28 tells us that every genuine disciple is also to be a disciple or apprentice maker. So apprentice makers we are, or need to become such. Our gratitude for this privilege will hopefully push us to give ourselves over in obedience to anything the master asks of us, his followers. Maybe we call it gratitudinal obedience, but it's intentionality on our part to choose to do what we've been told to do. Thus, we should work to use the gift of time we've been given to be making apprentices our life's work, regardless of where the Lord has planted us or what He has us doing for a living. And also remember, we're all making them, but the question is of who or what. When our, first, when our firstborn, Matt, was about two years old, Lynn and I were on a road trip with him in the car, and his car seat was positioned in the second row, the minivan in the center, so that he could see forward. Now, I'm inclined as a driver to be, shall we say, disappointed when I come upon another driver who seems not to recognize the keep right, pass left law, and also particularly on the interstate, is going slower than the bulk of traffic. Now, if we call that what it is, it's, it's impatience. As you might expect, I sometimes comment about that to myself and sometimes out loud. 
So imagine our reaction when I happen to be approaching a car ahead in the left lane and hear out of Matt's two-year-old mouth, come on, chief. <laughs> you know, it's funny, but you know, it's really convicting. The immediate realization of my apprenticing was very clear. Of course, what follows something like that are the mental gymnastics of considering what other Jesus-dishonoring ideas or shame-bringing things are in his head that I'm responsible for, or, or things that are there that I'm not responsible for but need to be corrected. That said, making disciples or apprentices of Jesus has a few components to it. First, share the word. David Platt says it well. We live, we speak about the gospel as we live according to the gospel. Second, we show the word. Baptism is another part of making disciples. For one thing, Jesus says, do it. And it symbolizes and shows intentional gratitude, obedience, and self-identification with the person of Christ and inclusion into the body or family of his. Salvation and all that comes with it are the most important gifts someone can ever get in their life. You would hope that they would want to show it to the world. Teach the Word is the third item. Verse 19 is pretty clear. Nothing foggy or ambiguous there. We don't just receive the Word, we reproduce the Word. So, the question becomes, are our lives and our conversations infused and marinated with God's Word? What are we to teach? Well, Jesus doesn't leave any openings there. He says, all that I've commanded you. Fourth, serve and do. Do what the Word says. The world and community right here around us needs, if only because Jesus said so. In verse 20, when Jesus says, teach, there is certainly an aspect of knowledge and how-tos to be taught, but Jesus' word observe does not mean to teach someone to look around and see all that has been commanded. No, no. What Jesus is saying is akin to the charge, Obey the, or observe the law, or something like that. It means to teach them to know and do all that he has commanded so that we keep growing under those apprenticing us, moving towards the not yet John and the not yet you we're supposed to become. Our challenge then is to build relationships with people here by sharing, showing, and teaching and encouraging to become living apprentices of Jesus too. That means we serve as his hands and his feet and his voices, and we serve others in these relationships. And as you probably know, building relationships with people you want to see apprenticed takes time. Oh, that precious gift of time. Sharing, showing, teaching, and serving are time-intensive, so intentionality is imperative. There's also the right, to right and good stewardship and use of our time and talents and gifts as well. So, how do we make the right decisions and live out this charge well? Well, let's look at our third and final point. Depend on Christ and His presence with us. The last part of our text today in verse 2, 20, that's 20b, has Jesus saying, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We do not live a single moment without the presence of God. When we realize that Christmas is an indictment and we realize our need for Him, and in truth, our need for absolute dependence on what only he can and will do, and did do. He assures us we can depend on his actual presence 
to do what he said we are to do. Jesus is making it very clear that this mission is based on him, who he is, and what he is able to do. The not yet you is the true you Jesus sees. Live into that. David Platt says, we need to give Christ a blank check with our lives and then see where it leads. We should be desperate for the power of Jesus. Jesus previously made clear how this is to come about. In 14, John 14, 26, Jesus told his disciples, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And <clears throat> there is an interesting notion here. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. He did not refer to him as the doer. Can't be clearer than that. We, his apprentices, are the doers. He sends the helper to help us do what he said to do. Dallas Willard said that discipleship or apprenticeship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. We can and should totally trust that Jesus, trust him and and be uh, committed and intentional to do what he says because he's given us identity, authority, and power, and time to do it. My hope for us is that each of us will look to the new year of 2024 AD, the year of our Lord, as an opportunity to intentionally engage or re-engage with Jesus as our master and depend on him always and grow into the apprentices and family members he plans for us and so much wants us to be. Let's live and speak and serve as his hands and feet and voices all the time, truly representing him as his brothers and sisters and citizens of heaven. Let's live in the awe of what has actually been done for us. It's greater than stilling this, the calm, uh, making calm out of a, of a horrible, fierce storm. It's much bigger than that. Live in awe of that. <clears throat> oh. Yeah, he took our ruined souls and saving us made a way for us to grow into this reality of the not yet us. So let the master sculptor do his cutting and chipping and polishing and lets you and I do the learning and doing and changing that he wants for us. Leo Tolstoy once said, everybody thinks of changing humanity, but... Nobody thinks of changing himself. Often the more someone feels like a victim, the less responsibility they feel to change. And sometimes people resist change because they focus on what they have to give up instead of what they have to gain. Don't do that. Please don't do that. What you have to gain is becoming the not yet you. Jesus wants his brother or sister living with him forever in wonder, awe, and joy that we can't even imagine. Jesus has all authority and power so we can trust him and let the change come. Sinclair Ferguson wrote, there's no stairs. You need to throw yourself into the love of Christ. It's an all or nothing thing. In trusting him, you will lose your life, but at the same time, you will find it. There's no other way. Today starts a new week and tomorrow a new year. What are you and I going to do with it? Let's live into our apprenticeship. 
Let's use the gift of time we've been given, acknowledge the authority of Christ who gave so much for you and I, and let's really be intentional and really do what he said to do, depending on him and his presence with us. Let's live and speak and serve as his hands and feet and voice, and let's show the world Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you in awe of who you are, of what you created and sustained, of your love for us and the incredible price you and Jesus paid to make us part of your family forever. Thank you that we can trust Jesus and depend on him because he has all authority and power to do what needs to be done. Help us to depend on him and live into our apprenticeship so we can really become the not yet us you already see. I bring us and this request before you in Jesus' name.